Welcome everyone to episode nine of the Who Actually Knows podcast. Today, I am welcoming a guest to the show and I'm very excited for you all to meet her. I was connected to her through a mutual friend and after speaking with her earlier this week, I learned so much from her experiences and I know that you guys will do the same. She has experiences in navigating a career change and redirection of her life path, but also how she aligned herself to do things that are truly meaningful to her and impactful. And she'll talk a little bit about wine, which we all love. So without further ado, welcome Elodie. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I am really excited to be back with a guest. Um, I just recorded yesterday after coming back from Amsterdam and recording in my room is very weird. So it's nice to be sitting across from like a live person who's going to talk back to me and not just my wall. That's nice for me too. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Um, So Elodie and I got connected through a mutual friend back in Chicago. Actually, one of my old roommates, Katie Bros, her older sister, Jenna, um, and Elodie are friends from Northwestern. And when I first started the podcast, I put out a little um, like poll or just announcement that I was doing the podcast and asked if anyone had topic recs. And Jenna was so nice and sent a long list. And one was to talk to Elodie about natural wine and her experience. Um, and she has so much to talk about. So I am super, super excited. Um, before we get in, though, we will do the personal recap. So Elodie, just so you know, it's just going to be like what you're looking forward to in the week or in life. Um, you can talk about literally anything, but um, I guess not a recap, something you're looking forward to, not in the past. Um, so is there anything you're looking forward to coming up this week? Yes, I have a lot of stuff to look forward to. My mom is actually coming on Sunday, um, and I haven't seen her since Christmas. So I'm really excited. It's her first time visiting L.A. So that'll be lovely. And then later next week, I'm going to Austin for a wine fair. So it's my first time in Austin, and the fair is going to be really exciting. So lots to look forward to. That's awesome. I love Austin. I lived in Dallas for a summer and went to Austin oh. like three times. Like every weekend I could, I was free. Everyone I've ever talked to about it is like, it's the best place. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have an awesome time. That's super exciting. Um, for me, I'm looking forward to my birthday coming up, which you also just celebrated a birthday. I did. You're an April birthday. What did you March your... 29th. Oh, okay. Yeah, recent. So you're not an April birthday. Yeah, shame. Just on the cusp. What did you do for it? It was a weird one because it was my first birthday in LA and I moved here in November. So it was sort of strange to navigate. It's a very like adult birthday vibe mm-hmm. when you're like, I'm in a new place. I'm around new friends, not with my family, so far from home. It was like sort of a weird, sad birthday. Mm-hmm. Like I was surrounded by lovely people and I did lovely things, but there's just sort of a weird sense of sadness being so far from home. But, yeah. you know, you live and you learn. <laughs> I, I'm going to experience the exact same thing because yeah. it's the first birthday that I'm not going to have. I mean, I have my boyfriend David here, but I don't have any of my good girlfriends or any of my family coming. And I moved out here very like right after you so yeah. haven't been out here too long but I, I I'm excited nonetheless 24 amazing <laughs> I'm just a little older than you <laughs> um, so to get into it you guys I kind of mentioned all of her experiences navigating so many things um, but she tells it the best herself so, Elodie, to let my listeners get a feel for who you are, your experience, where you're from, can you do a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Okay, my life story. Your life story. Um, sure. So, I'll try to, like, give the high points sort of like I gave you the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I am Canadian, very important part of my story. I was born in Toronto, grew up there. Um, And then for my undergrad, I went to Northwestern, where I met Jenna. Um, And the choice to go to Northwestern was really just because there are no liberal arts options in Canada. Um, And so my mom wanted me to be able to go to a college where I could continue exploring, since I hadn't really figured out what I wanted to do. So I was very, very lucky to be able to go to Northwestern. Um, And when I got there, I was very confused about what I thought I wanted to do with my life so I ended up taking 
pretty general classes and I ended up doing a communications major and a psych minor and a marketing certificate because those just felt like really broad ranging topics that I could sort of figure out where I wanted to go from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, from taking that path, I kind of ended up going along with the wave into marketing and advertising post-college. I moved to New York um, and started working in advertising as a producer. And I did that for two-ish years. And it, it, was, it was fun. I had a lot of fun living in New York. Um, the work I was doing was not fulfilling in any way. Um, but I, I was really convinced at the time that I didn't really have any interests and that I remember saying to my brother, I remember sitting down at my, at dinner with my brother and really clearly saying, I'm just not a career person. Like, I'm just not the kind of person who my career is ever going to matter to me. It's not my thing. Mm -hmm. And I look back on that now and I think it's hilarious, (laughs) but I said that and I really believed it. How Um, old were you when that happened that was in 2019 so I guess it was 23 okay uh I think and then I I went through some like big personal changes in my life I I started therapy in the fall of 2018 um and when fall of 2019 came around I was like coming to some really big stuff internally Um, and so these really big shifts started to happen and I started to like actually engage in my life in a way that I hadn't in a really long time. Um, and just started looking for things that might spark my interest. Started listening to a lot of podcasts, reading books, watching a lot of documentaries and movies, and just like saying yes to a lot of different kinds of experiences that I had previously sort of been closed off to Mm -hmm. out of fear. Um, and then when COVID hit, I was at home and I had, I had been looking for a new job. Um, I thought I would probably stay in advertising, but I wanted to sort of shift over to a part of advertising that was a little bit more creative. Um, I had previously been interested in video production, so I kind of wanted to shift over there. Mm-hmm. But when COVID hit, obviously, there were no opportunities for video production because right. um, nothing was being done in person. So I sort of had to reevaluate and... I people always ask me like what was the moment that you decided to make this specific change all I remember is being on a walk I was in Toronto at home quarantining with my family and I remember being on a walk and I just remember like stopping in my path and like being like oh okay I need to see if this is something that I can do Mm -hmm. and it was looking into a program a master's program that was related to food and psychology. And I remember going back home from my walk and Googling food and psychology programs. um, And I found a bunch of like culinary stuff and a bunch of psych stuff. What I ended up finding was a program at NYU where they have an individualized study school called Gallatin. Um, And NYU is really well known also for their food studies program. Mm. So I ended up coming with this, coming up with this idea to merge the food studies program with a psychology program and sort of weave them together to create this like food, food psychology master's degree. And like, it was so crazy. Like it just clicked in that moment that like, that was what I wanted to do. And I applied and I got in like a month later, quit my job in July of that year. And then I started my master's in the fall. I'll move a little faster because there's so many steps of this story. But. <laughs> no, it's good. So I do have a question. When you were making the decision to, I mean, literally leave advertising completely, mm-hmm. were you nervous that like it wouldn't work out? Like, What were some of those conversations in your head? Like, If you were nervous, how did you find that confidence to go forward with it? I think that I always knew I could come back. Mm-hmm. You know, advertising is not a field that, you need to be on a specific trajectory it's not like you know being a doctor or like even banking in some ways where you need you need to like climb up in the ranks it's you can you can leave and come back and and any detour you take 
will probably just get you further ahead because you're getting experience in a in a certain kind of other industry like if you go specialize in something else coming back to advertising will only give you more sort of interest level Mm -hmm. um so it didn't feel very high risk to be fair and I think also the fact that it was COVID um made it even lower risk yeah uh because no one was getting jobs Mm -hmm. um and I and I will say also I was in a very privileged position that my mom was going to help me out while I was in school Mm -hmm. so like that is very important to say that like a lot of people wouldn't have had the opportunity that I had um so it's not like oh la-di-da no risk like there would have been risk I was just really lucky to be supported right okay awesome so you made the realization that you wanted to study psychology and food studies um why specifically we can go into more detail those two things yeah so I think that food is something that I had I think about all the time. I uh, I would have always defined myself as being a foodie and I think a lot of people would say that about me too like I grew up being obsessed with baking and cooking for other people and like one hobby that I did have throughout college and after college was just like restaurant research. Like I was always the person who knew the restaurants to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, in Chicago and in New York and like everyone would always ask me my recommendations I wouldn't go out to a restaurant twice it was like a huge deal for me I'm the exact same way it's the best yeah my yeah. family will text me if they're visiting any city and they're like where do we go to eat I, I love all. being that person too. I, I do too I and I love saving it and I will like in Amsterdam I had the whole itinerary yeah I was like you guys can plan whatever you want to do I have the restaurants under and I have huge maps like my map for New York has like 200 restaurants I've been to 200 restaurants I still want to go to mm-hmm. and I have maps for every city that I've visited yeah yeah I love so that. like that part of food has always been really important to me the other thing is that I mean I think this is well, I won't generalize. First, I'll tell my personal story. But I think that something that I had been talking about in therapy since 2018, um, and that had obviously been on my mind a lot before that, was food because I was struggling with disordered eating, um, as I think many, many, many young women are, even Mm -hmm. if you're not diagnosed with anything. Like Most of us have disordered thoughts around eating and Mm -hmm. obsessive thoughts about food. So I think in a way that um, fixation on food sort of got confused with an interest for food, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think is bad at all, but no, I, think I think it's, it's very normal. I think it's really normal. Yeah. I would say that I've had, actually, I know I've had the same thing because it's yeah. something that I talked about in therapy as well, was yeah. disordered eating and my thoughts and my experiences around it. And I think I hear so many women talk about their interest in health and nutrition. Like my mom, for example, always says, oh, I'm super interested in food and nutrition. And I'm like, "Mm, I totally appreciate that you can be interested in it, but is it pure interest and curiosity or is it because you want to look a certain way or we're, we're just so focused on it as women or as people who feel like they need to shape their bodies a certain way so food becomes this item to be fixated on and then we confuse it with something that we're super interested by Mm -hmm. like people all these women who want to study nutrition I think like we all kind of it comes from a certain place like it 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 cannot be separated from the culture that we live in it's not to say that the interest doesn't exist but it is situated within this culture of restriction Mm -hmm. which psychologically restriction breeds obsession Mm-hmm. So that was definitely, in retrospect, what was happening to me. I was I was very fixated on food, and I was also very focused on this introspective journey that I was going on um, since I had started therapy. And so food and psychology were, like, the two most important things in my life. Right. Um, so, so studying that seemed like, oh, this is what I love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then you went forward and studied this at NYU. So you were in New York 
for or going to school for another four years or two years? Two years. Two years. Yeah. Okay. And so then you graduated when? Um, so I was in in my master's from 2020 to 2022. I graduated in June 2022. Okay. And so then when it came to graduation and were you ever like caught, what am I going to do now? Because there is a next part of your life where it's, you go to school, like you had that pitiful moment, you decided to go back to school and then like what was after? Yeah. So a lot happened then <laughs> in those two years. I think this moment where I decided to make this pivot I was like, okay, now everything's going to change. Like I was on this path that felt really complacent of like, okay, I'm going, I did my marketing degree and I'm going to go work in marketing and then that's going to be the rest of my life. And having this moment of clarity of, oh, I'm going to school and I'm going to study these things that I find fascinating. I was like, okay, now things are going to open up. Like everything's going to become clear. Mm -hmm. It's not clear now, but over two years in school, I have to learn this stuff before I can decide what I'm going to do with that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt confident that it would become clear. Um, and it did, but not at all in the ways that I thought it would. Um, it always works. Yeah. Everyone was like at the beginning, at the beginning when I started, they were like, okay, well, what are you going to do with that degree? I said, I don't know. Like, I feel very lucky that I was very confident in telling people I don't know, and I'm going to figure it out. I think that's really important. Oh, yeah. A lot of people, I feel like, would have made a fake answer and just been like, oh, well, this is the plan. Like, I have it all planned out. But it's totally okay to not have it all planned out. Completely. And if I had had it planned out, I wouldn't have ended up in the right place. I would have gone the wrong way. So I stayed really open. And I went through all of the thought processes of, like, what could I do next? You know, for the first year, I would say I didn't think about it at all. Um, and then one sort of like late winter, early spring of my second year came around. I was like, okay, well, what, what's going to happen now? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking a lot about what, what makes sense coming out of like a food studies and psychology degree. What makes sense? I could go do a doctorate in psych and like go treat eating disorders. I could go do research related to food. I could go work at like a food brand and help them like hack consumers minds because I know things about the way people think about food Mm -hmm. but none of that felt right to me um the psychology stuff like doing further research and doing a doctorate I think that's amazing and I really admire people who have the discipline to do that and the minds to do that but like I'm just not an academic Mm -hmm. Uh, I can think academically but I'm not an academic by nature (laughs) and the working for a giant food corporation that would want to hire someone who says that they know how people think about food. That's scary to me. I don't want to help big brands, you know, capitalize on people's emotional connection to food. Right. So those were like the obvious routes. And I was like, that's not feeling right. Um, Simultaneously, there's this whole wine story that's happening in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, which is where I am now. So kind of need to like rewind a little bit to touch on that. To when you started getting interested in wine. Right. Because when we talked, you were saying like everyone was in COVID, everyone was drinking wine. Right. And you were with your mom and you wanted to like see what you were drinking or try different wines. Right. So when I moved to New York after my undergrad in 2018, I mean, in college, I was drinking, like, two buck chuck and three wishes from Whole Foods and, like, loving it. I had no problems with it. Yeah. Um, as everyone does. It's as everyone does, of, It's a yeah. rite of passage. Oh, yeah. And then I moved to New York, and I started exploring little wine shops, and, like, it became an activity of, like, on weeknights, I'm cooking dinner, I'm going to go to a wine shop and pick out a new bottle and taste something, and it'll be fun, and it's an adventure. Like, every new excursion to buy wine and every wine I bought was an adventure mm-hmm. um and I loved that and then I don't think I thought about it that much you know I think I took it for granted a bit it was just like part of my weeks and then I got to Toronto for quarantine and um my mom was buying these like giant cases of the same wine like she had a red wine that she liked and a white wine she liked and she just bought cases of it and that's what she bought every night yeah. and that's what she drank every night and 
I drank it for a little bit. And then I was like, okay, we're, we're not going to be here for two weeks. We're going to be here for like months. So I can't be drinking the same wine every night for the next few months. Like where's the adventure in that? Yeah. So I ended up starting to look around and try to find places in Toronto that I could find interesting wines that I could order to our house. Um, and, you know, at the same time, we're still in this moment of like my obsession with food and interest in health and all of that stuff. So I was also looking at like, healthy wine and what's like ethical like organic wine and like wines that are like better for you starting to think about wines that are better for you I remember reading about like blue zones at that time like the parts of the world where people live the longest Mm -hmm. and that those parts of the world people tend to drink wine actually yeah like a glass of wine a day or something so I was like okay it's healthy and then I was I sort of went down a rabbit hole of like, what wine are they drinking? Uh-huh. And because it's not too buck chuck. <laughs> so I started getting into like researching wine more and looking for wines and reading descriptions of wines before I bought them. And mm-hmm. that was sort of the, the spark. Um, and then when I started at NYU, one of the food studies classes, it was really hard to get into food studies classes. And so one of the classes that I ended up taking by default basically was Wine 101. It was like intro to beverages, but it was Wine 101. Yeah. And it was like weekly, like what are the regions about and what wines are from each region and doing tastings and stuff. Okay. And then the real pivotal moment was this other class that I took, which was called Inequality in the Food System. And there was sort of like a few things happening at this moment, but I was taking that class and there's this, um, I don't know if you've seen this Instagram campaign called the 15% pledge. I don't, uh, actually, I think I might've, it's this company that what they're doing is they're pushing first and foremost, big companies like Walmart and target to, um, have at least 15% of their, products represented by black owned brands because 15% of the U S population is black. Mm -hmm. So the logic is obviously that if 15% of the population is black, 15% of the products we sell should be from black producers or whatever companies. Um, so there was also a time when they were like, okay, as a consumer, you should also be buying 15% black owned. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I saw that, I was like, okay, what do I buy? Like, what do I spend money on? I was like, really wine. Yeah. You know, like I don't really buy clothes. I don't really buy other stuff, but like, I really just spend a lot of money on wine. So I was like, great. I'll just go find some black winemakers mm-hmm. and I'll start buying wine from them. Was it hard to do that? Yes. Right. Okay. So I start Googling black winemakers and it's really hard to find. Like there were very few, those that there that existed were like not represented in New York wine shops. Like they would be in California and they wouldn't ship across the country or like, Oh, that's interesting. They weren't so being like sold made in it stores. Harder for you to get it too. Super. Yeah. Super okay, hard to get them, hard to find them. And then I started finding like articles about racism in the wine industry and like the, these statistics that less than 0.01% of winemakers in the U.S. are black. And as I said, 15% of the population is black. Yeah. So I was like, that is crazy. Why is that happening? So for this class, this inequality in the food system class, I ended up writing my final paper on why that's the case. Like, I just started thinking, okay, there must be a million reasons why. Mm -hmm. Um, And no one had really written anything about it. So I sort of did a research project on that and I got really into it and really excited isn't the word because it wasn't like positive but I was I was actually angry Mm -hmm. um and so it got me really invested yeah you had so many emotions that made you more of an advocate for it totally and yeah yeah, literally what you just said it was something I wrote down in my notes because I was looking at you also have a you know social media page that I'm sure you're going to talk about but on it you have like 15 percent of the population's is black and less than one percent of the winemakers in the industry are black and I wrote that down because I wanted to talk on it and you just yeah. said because it's crazy but I honestly have never heard that before right you know as many people probably don't know about this inequality yes 
So like I could go down a million rabbit <laughs> holes here and I can talk about this stuff for like hours. Um, to like stay a little closer to the story, I went on to then, after writing this paper, I basically I had a month off before my next semester um, and it was January and it was COVID and there was nothing to do. I was in New York mm-hmm. um, and my best friend, Rachel, had been laid off from her job. So she was like waiting. She was applying to new jobs, but she didn't really have anything to do. Mm-hmm. So I like enlisted her to help me and she was so sweet and she was amazing at helping me with this project. Um, but I decided I was going to start a social media account. We actually talked about creating wine boxes okay to sell to friends not for any profit but just to get black owned wine in their hands okay um but legally that's tricky um you can't just sell wine without a license right uh so we ended up doing it for some friends we ordered some wine and we we personally spoke to several um black winemakers uh just to hear their story and understand what we could do mm-hmm. to help to elevate their voices um and in in part that was sharing their wine but in part it was also telling their stories mm-hmm. so we we did give out and sell some of their wine at cost to our friends again not for a profit um just so that they could try them and like hopefully go on to endorse them to their friends. Mm -hmm. But we also started this Instagram account that was dedicated to educating people about the reasons why there is such a lack of diversity in the industry Mm -hmm. and sharing ways that the consumer can start to help change that. Yeah. And I was looking at that page a lot after we talked um, on Monday. It's called Wine Set Crush. So I think you guys should all go and check it out. Um, but it has a lot of tips and it was, or tips of ways you can be, you know, an advocate and consume, you know, wine from black winemakers. Um, and it was so educational. You guys have really put a lot of work into it. Um, is it something that you guys are still running together or is it just you? So after that first month or so, it was just me. Um, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of work because I really wanted to make sure that the information I had was sound um, and that what I was doing was actually helpful to the community that I was trying to support. Right. Um, I did continue with those interviews with people because blindly posting stuff that's not actually serving that community would, would really not be to the it goal. It wouldn't be helpful at all. Yeah. Right. Um, You're taking steps back at that point. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So... I was really invested in creating interesting, educational, valuable content. And I did that for about six months. And then I had to start writing my thesis. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole other period for me mentally. Uh, And it was really intense, uh, intense, just intense work, intense anxiety for me. I was going through like, a whole lot of reckoning with how I use my voice. Yeah. And Wines at Crush honestly really helped me see how my voice could be valuable. Mm-hmm. And starting to write my thesis felt like another challenge of how can I bravely put my voice out there. Right. Um, and so I sort of took a step back from Wines at Crush at that time and dove a little bit deeper into my studies, knowing that my wine journey would always be informed by what I had learned from that project. Mm -hmm. And like that continues to be an area of deep investment for me. Um, The education part, the diversity part, just using that lens to look at the wine industry is something that I still employ day to day. Did your doing all of this research and your experience did your views on the wine industry ever change from like positive to negative? Or are you always like, no, I think like this can still change. And I think this can still like be built up. Um, I don't think I had any specific perception of the industry before. Like I think I learned my investment in the industry came from developing this perception of it like before that I didn't know anything about wine Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh it's a drink and then 
when I started to learn about the industry at all, all of these things, because I started from this place of like, why are there so few winemakers from marginalized backgrounds in the industry? It was like, that was the way I saw everything from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I saw it in a positive light and then a negative light. You started. I started truth, from, kind of. I I think, yeah, I think so. Um, so it was never like, oh, shoot. Well, this is the reality. It was like, okay, great. This is the reality. Mm-hmm. Let's build. Like, let's go. What can we from do? From here. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of that, what are, for people who are listening and consume wine, what are ways that they can uh, create more of a diverse wine industry by consuming? Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of effort to be made on both sides. Like there's tons that we in the industry need to be doing to create a more equitable, welcoming, diverse space. Um, but from the consumer side, I think the first thing is like educating yourself about this stuff. And, and it is really hard, I will say, because not a lot of people are talking about it. Like it is this small group of people in the industry who are speaking up at this point. Um, and it's not easy to like find this information. Like when I was doing this research, I was looking at census data. It's not like there were research studies on this stuff already. And actually recently, uh, maybe a year or two ago, right? It was shortly after I... I was working on this account, but um, Dr. Monique Bell did a study about uh, black winemakers in the U.S., which is worth reading. Um, and, you know, there are there are some really powerful black voices talking to this issue. Um, and I would love to send you a list of resources that you can share with your listeners. Yeah, that would be amazing. I'm not going to be able to list them off my yeah, memory right now. Yeah, I can put right them now. in the show notes. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um but education, I think, about what what the realities are in the wine industry, and like that's something that I'm really dedicated to, is helping provide access to that education because I don't think it's readily available right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, on on wines that crush, I do list a few things that you can do. Like, I mean, the most important thing you can do to support winemakers is buy their wine. Right. So. Um, we do highlight a few amazing winemakers on that account. Uh, and I would just encourage people to like, when you go into a wine shop, ask, ask what is made by like someone from the BIPOC community, someone from the AAPI community, from the LGBTQ plus community. Like there's a wine shop in uh, Silver Lake, Vinovore that sells all female owned wines. Um, so, you know, if you go into a wine shop where the people are educated about their products, they'll mm-hmm. they should be able to tell you um, what it is and stuff. What yeah. it is and and point you to producers that you can be supporting. Yeah, and that's also um, kind of the whole magic of going into a wine shop because I you have a few social medias that I've looked at. It's wines that crush, and then you have another. Yeah, uh, is it Ello Wine Time? Ello Wine Time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so I've looked at all of them and. You talk a lot about wine bars, wine shops, going and asking questions and really making it like an experience and yeah. enjoyable, which I think it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes the magic is taken away when people are like, oh, like, let's just get wine drunk, you know, but mm-hmm. it's also like such an experience behind it. Um, but you also broke into that industry because you now work at a wine bar. Yes. And so I would love for you to talk about how you broke into the industry um with you told me that it's really hard and then the past few days I've been listening to podcasts about the wine industry and it is really hard and I had no idea so I would love for you to talk about you know how you can break into it um I think you said there was like two ways and then which path you choose or you chose yeah I think like when I say there are two ways, like I've listened, yeah, I, as I mentioned the other day, I've listened to like hundreds of people's stories about how they ended up in wine. And I think there are many ways for sure, but, but two of the most common ways are one, starting in service. Um, and it's people who find themselves working jobs, waiting tables or hosting or whatever. And then they're around wine in these restaurant environments and they they sort of get bitten by the wine bug and 
they develop more of an interest in it and then they end up working their way up to becoming beverage directors or sommeliers in that retail or that um, hospitality environment. Mm -hmm. The other common, well, you know, common within the industry path would be is the production side. So that is to basically work a harvest in a winery for a season and build up from there. I mean, usually production side stays production side. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can't say usually that's a generalization that is not really wise to make, but a lot of people work a harvest because they think they want to be a winemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so you work a harvest and then you maybe get hired on as a seller hand and then you build up and become a seller master and then an assistant winemaker and then a winemaker and then maybe you start your own label. Um, and then on, on the hospitality side, you know, I mentioned the rankings, you might build up to being a, a floor som and then a beverage director and whatever. Right. Um, and you can also then, some people just start off taking courses to become a sommelier. Mm-hmm. There are a few different options for that as well. Um, so for me, you know, I was finishing up my master's degree. What had really sparked my interest was this specifically this issue about inequality in wine but also just like my love for wine in general um I was like well if I can be in a in an industry that is so fun and and beautiful in so many ways like the experience of drinking wine is so beautiful and it brings so much joy and connection and you know food is so important to me and wine is so important to food um and also I felt like I could make a difference you know mm-hmm. there there is so much that needs to change and being in an industry is that's perfect is no fun right uh the challenge yeah exactly (laughs) so you know I knew that I wanted to get there um but I had no idea where I wanted to go um but yeah I was doing my master's degree so I I wasn't going to go the thing is with people who do the restaurant route it's usually people who they start in service because they were already just working in service and then they realize they like wine like you don't realize you like wine and then go work in service to then get into wine yeah um so the only path that really felt like it made sense for me was the harvest path and also I just like I love that shit yeah like harvest is my harvest was not very outdoors focused but it's super physical it's type two fun okay it's like intense challenging painful um but amazing yeah you know different too how long is a normal harvest so I moved to California I got out here in August middle of August Mm -hmm. started harvest like August 12th or something of 2022 of 2022 and then I worked through about November 1st okay yeah and I could have stayed a little bit longer I had to leave but it would have been about mid-November so about three months Okay. And then that's when you moved to LA. Yes. After. Yes. So after graduation, I was like, I'm going to start, I'm going to do my start in the wine industry by working a harvest. Um, I had also done my level two WSCT, which is one of the courses that you would take building up to being a sommelier. Okay. Thank you for explaining. I had no idea what that was like. Whoa. (laughs) It's a wine and spirit education trust. So there's that. And then there's the court of master sommeliers. Those are like the main ways that people build up to being a song okay um so I took that and it was fine uh you know it was really good for learning the basics but they sort of teach you production methods and it's really hard to understand what they're talking about Mm -hmm. so working a harvest one of the big goals was like actually understand the production like it's really hard to understand wine without understanding how it's made and it's really hard to understand how it's made without seeing and doing yeah and was your harvest, did you only harvest one type of grape? No. Or you were doing a bunch? We have tons of different varietals. Okay. Yes. So the way that the winery I was at, and I'm still working with Pally, mm-hmm. um, the way we work is we have a winery in Lompoc, which is about an hour north of Santa Barbara. And we do have a vineyard in Santa Rita Hills, about 20 minutes from the winery. But we also source grapes from other vineyards in the area to allow us to like play with a little bit more diversity of varietals. Okay. Um, so we grow Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Dornfelder right now. Okay, Dornfelder is Dorn? really random. Yeah, it's yeah. like a German <laughs> varietal. It's like this thick-skinned purple grape makes these like strong, really robust red wines. Okay, um, super random that we plant it, but mm-hmm. we do. Uh, and then we buy tons of other stuff from tons of other vineyards, and we make 
so many different wines, which is really fun. And the thing that's very unique and cool about Pali is that we make natural wines, quote unquote. Yeah. And now I'm going to have to talk about that. Yes. But we're going to have to define natural wines. Natural <laughs> wines. And then we make more conventional style wines. Okay. Um, and that would be actually what like natural versus conventional. Can you actually define that? Yes. I think that'd I be perfect. So uh, when you look at the definition of natural versus conventional, you're really looking at two parts, which is one in the vineyard and two in the winery. In the vineyard, natural wine is always at least organically farmed, oftentimes biodynamic or regenerative. Um, and then when you go into the winery, natural wine is minimal intervention is really like the proper way of saying it. Um, so that's, is that like no additives, like no additives. Yes, exactly. Nothing added, nothing taken away. Okay. So, um, conventional wine can be fermented using commercial yeasts. Mm -hmm. So you can buy yeast and yeast food that you put in to start the fermentation and to help the fermentation. And it, first of all, just helps things move along. Um, but also it can create specific flavors. So you can like buy a yeast knowing that it's going to help bring out red berry flavors. Okay. Um, yeah. And so natural wine, you can't do that. You can Mm -hmm. only use the yeasts that are naturally found on the grapes in the vineyard. Okay. So you basically just throw the grapes in a tank and you let them do their thing. (laughs) Um, conventional wine. Also, you can, you can add, there are 70 different things that are legally allowed to be added in the United States. So like you can add like acids you can add sugars you can add There's different like flavoring seven zero. seven zero it's a lot it's a lot of do, things do a lot of wines have stuff that are probably like illegal and not supposed to be in there as well um pro- probably not because okay. it is regulated by the fda it is. Okay. yeah but um there are a lot of those 70 things that you really don't want to be consuming 70 is just crazy I don't in know. other countries that's not the case like yeah. that many things are not legal it's just because we're the U.S. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so natural wine, none of that. The only thing that natural wine might have is a bit of sulfur, which mm-hmm. is just a, it's just a preservative, okay. which is totally normal. And people get too wacky about sulfur. It's not a big deal. Okay. If and your you... wine has sulfur in it, drink it. <laughs> drink natural wine. Yeah. Um. So you sell all natural wine at your your wine bar no so we have both so basically without doing like a whole pally sales pitch (laughs) we have a few we have three separate brands under pally or like sort of lines of wine under pally okay um and one of them is natural all natural and then the others like have we don't we don't add a ton of stuff to our wines like right the, the distinction of natural to conventional really comes from the desire to move away from like mass produced commercial wines, like grocery store wines that mm-hmm. have all of that shit in it. Yeah. There are tons of wines that are made thoughtfully that still have some additives. So they're not natural, but they're, More they're totally natural. great, yeah. beautiful, fine wines. It's, it's a ultimately a philosophical difference of like, do you want to, is your goal to just natural wine is like, let the grapes do their thing. Yeah. Like what we want is just the most pure, clean expression of the, of the grape and the place it comes from a wine that has additives. It's more the philosophy of the winemaker is like, I have this grape. I want to make it taste the best that I think it can taste. Okay. So I might add a little bit of acid because like, I know this grape is beautiful, but it needs to get to like a certain level of of sugar it needs to be at a certain level of sugars in order to taste the best but then the acid isn't going to be high enough so I'm going to add a tiny bit of acid to make it taste amazing okay okay that makes sense yeah so if you're going to buy like wine and so like I love orange wine Mm -hmm. but I assume orange wine is natural wine how would I know if I'm like pulling something off the shelf if it is natural wine would it just say on the label or unfortunately no okay um it's really not, I mean, natural wine is not even really defined. Yeah. So everything I'm saying is like largely what's accepted, but it's not, it's not legally defined in any way. Like okay. organic is legally defined. You can see on a label, it'll say if it's like organic 
or if it's made with organic grapes, that means like some of it is organically farmed and some of it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, natural is not something you'll see on a label. So what you really need to do is either research the producer okay. and know which producers are natural um, or this is like the easier hack is find distributors that you know represent producers that are natural or at least producers that you can stand behind okay um and then it's sort of like an easy yes no like you can look at a label and there are there are distributors who cover like tons and tons of producers so mostly you'll go into a into a shop and you'll see like there aren't that many distributors so if you just look for a name that you know okay you know you'll pro you're probably safe with that okay bottle okay yeah awesome so um you work at a wine bar and you you can really like tell the story behind the grapes and like what they're tasting. Yeah. Is that what makes your job special? Like what do you love about working in a wine bar? Yeah. I think a lot of it is special, but I think the thing that makes it the most special is that I worked in the production facility. So mm-hmm. like a lot of the wines we're selling, I made, you yeah. know, like me and a million other people, mm-hmm. but I touched them. Like yeah. I stomped on those grapes and I like <laughs> sorted through them and I crushed them and it was a labor of love for sure um and yeah I can I can tell the story and and having that personal connection to me that's what's so cool about being in wine and and wine education it's like people feel so alienated from the process people Mm -hmm. don't understand how wine is made and how it works and so and and just as a whole it it feels so intimidating to people and so people don't really want to ask these questions right so every time I sit in front of someone and I like teach them something or tell them a story so that to, to, to let them in yeah you know and help them feel an emotional connection to the wine like they light up you know yeah that's awesome and then I light up mm-hmm. it's the coolest that's yeah that sounds amazing so would you say that you feel fulfilled in what you're doing today oh my god yeah totally it it, it sounds like it I mean you are literally talking about it and you're like lighting up yeah which is probably like night and day between advertising and what you were doing Uh uh-huh yeah I I remember talking to this woman it was near the end of my time in advertising it was a, a friend of my mom's who kindly offered to talk to me about career career building And I remember talking to her. I remember sitting, taking a break in my office in the World Trade Center in New York. And she was like, okay, like, what do you want to do? I was like, I have no idea. She was like, well, what brands do you love? Like, let's think about brands you love and like who you might want to work for and how, how those motivate you. Like, what is their story and why is it exciting to you? And I was just like blank. Like, I don't care. I don't care about any brands like brands don't mean anything to me Mm -hmm. and I was like holy shit I work in marketing and brands don't mean anything to me yeah and now and and I would go into job interviews and like study and like research okay I I need to have an answer for that question like what brands matter to me and why do I care about advertising and I had to study and I was bullshitting completely and now Every time I talk to someone in the wine industry, like when I interviewed for my harvest job, when I've interviewed for other jobs, when I just like talk to people, it's like it rolls off the tongue. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to study why I want to be here. You it's just, like no. so natural. It like comes from within, mm-hmm. which is the best feeling. Like I never thought it would feel this way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I admire you from this is literally the second time talking that we have talked and I admire you one so much because you actually are doing something that means so much to you and so much to other people like you're having an impact on everyone that comes into the wine bar people that are listening like people that you're sharing these experiences with or traveling to go see you know like you're always sharing your experience because it's something you're interested in and I think that's so important um, especially for a lot of my listeners who are in their young 20s and they're like well what am I interested in where can I have an impact But it's really just, I feel like, maybe taking a little step back and doing a little introspective thinking, you know, like, where are you spending your time, your thoughts, your money? And it's probably where you want to spend the majority of your time during your day. Um, So I, you have 
amazing experiences and I am so happy that you came on and spoke about them um I also you though you're working on a lot of current projects and I want you to kind of have your own PR moment so (laughs) do your thing let everyone know what are your socials where can they learn things you put out there Sure. And you can also send if there's like a long list, like we said, of resources, send them my way and I'll include them as well. Cool. Yeah. I definitely want to send you some educational resources that I can take no credit for, but that people should take Mm -hmm. a look at for sure. Um, A lot of what I'm doing right now is like in the works. Okay. Uh, So I I am working at Pally and, you know, come swing by Pally and talk to me. I'm happy to pour you a bunch of wine and chat to you about anything you want to learn. Uh, I'm also now working with the Vintner Project, which is a really cool Instagram account. And they're an online publication that posts uh, articles about cool things going on in the wine industry. They're really big on uh, elevating underrepresented regions um, and sort of giving you like background information that is really that you might not find in your day to day research about wine. So that's been really cool. I just started working with them and they're awesome. Uh, I'm working with a couple of other wine brands on stuff, but that's like, you know, long, longer term. Right. Um, and I'm also working with a friend on building out this cool concept that is really his idea about, um, it's related to music and it's like an herbal bar concept. And I'm hoping to bring some cool natural wines and co-fermented wines into that space. So as that develops... I will hit you up yeah, and definitely. we can promo that too because we're, we're definitely going to do some pop-ups and stuff and we would love to have people show up and learn and drink and yeah, meet have people. a good time. Have a good time. And you have Wines That Crush. We can't forget Wines That Crush. And we have Wines That Crush. Yes. If you want to follow Wines That Crush, I would love that. I'm not posting actively right now, but I think like... You have a lot of good posts. There's though, a lot of a lot of good information there. Good stuff to go read back on. Um, and then my other Instagram account is... It, it was Ello Wine Time. It's more recently Ello's Wine Time, which, you know, happy to be feedbacked on that because <laughs> my dad thinks it needs to be Ello's Wine Time, and I don't know about that. But uh, follow me there because I do post a lot of fun, I think it's fun and funny, educational stuff weekly. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm hoping that page will build into something bigger in yeah. the future. Yeah, no, that's yeah. really exciting. So before we end, is there anything left that you want my listeners to know whether it's advice anything there are like a million things I want your listeners (laughs) to know I could talk your ear off about the things I want you guys to know about wine um but I won't (laughs) because I don't even know where to begin so yeah follow me on my stuff and and then I will share with you all of the stuff that I would love to share right now yes and drink good wine natural wine drink with others and Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I am so excited for my listeners to hear about everything you have to share. 